0: Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Today, we are talking to Dr. Timmy, who is an obstetrician, gynaecologist, fertility specialist, and most importantly, Sophie's dad. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you might have heard some of our previous
1: episodes with Dr. Timmy or Dad. They've always been super popular and you guys are always asking for us to get him back on the show. So he's back on today and to make it a bit easier to find the information that you're after, we're going to from now on break the episodes up with Dr. Timmy into different themes. So today we're talking all things conception, natural, IVF, etc. we are Planning on covering it all, thought because we we're breaking it down into topics that we'd get less questions. But once again, we have been inundated, so we're going to try and get through them as quickly as we can while giving you all the necessary information at the same time. So welcome back, Dr. Timmy. Hey, Dr. Timmy.
2: Hi guys, how are you going?
0: Fantastic. We I'm won't ask how you are. I'm
2: down here in stage four. Lockdown. In the in the the state, they're going to build a wall around Victoria, and we'll just be. Like like a leper colony.
0: <laughs> it's very sad. It's a very sad, it's time. A sad time.
2: But one advantage of stage four restrictions is it's a very good time to be pregnant because you've got nothing else to do. So you may as well just have a pregnancy and have a baby,
0: or have a dog. Get a dog. Well, I
2: don't recommend the dog. I recommend the pregnancy because that's good for me.
0: Okay. Do you think that next year
1: we'll see an increase in babies due to people having not a lot of else to do during isolation?
2: Definitely. And I'm sure the reasons for that will come up in your Conception podcast. But yeah, definitely. I think there'll be more babies in the coming year for sure.
0: Well, let's start with the basics. How do you conceive a baby?
2: Well, I think it's important to start by saying conceiving a baby is a biology experiment, not a chemistry experiment. And I think that people have become a little bit obsessed with overthinking conceiving by having apps and by weighing on sticks and things like that. I mean, conceiving a pregnancy, so-called naturally, involves A sperm meeting an egg, therefore it involves having intercourse and it seems to me that people are concentrating these days more and more on conceiving a pregnancy, having the least amount of intercourse possible and so they're trying to time conception by timing ovulation and therefore by having intercourse at exactly the right time, which before the days of social media and television perhaps procreation was a little higher on people's lists each evening and therefore people had much larger families. So my recommendation to people would be if you're trying to conceive a pregnancy, try and have intercourse as often as possible because it will definitely improve your chances and don't get over-obsessed with trying to time things perfectly.
1: Mm. Even though you've just said the opposite, (laughs) how would you know when is the right time? Like how does one know well, when they're ovulating? Yeah, and that's, that, that's a, a very straightforward question and
2: has become increasingly part of, of, a, of gynecological practice is that if somebody has a regular cycle, they must be ovulating. There's only two ways to have a regular cycle and that's to be ovulating or to be on the pill. So if you have a regular cycle and you're trying to conceive, you're clearly not on the pill. And we know you ovulate and you are get the <laughs> yeah, Step one. I strongly recommend that. <laughs> you know those tablets you've been taking every morning for 10 years? Yeah, throw them out. And I would uh, advise people that if they've, say, got a 28-day cycle where well, they're ovulating 14 days before the first day of the cycle. So I know that's in retrospect, but if you know your cycle is regular and it's 30 days, well, it's 14 days less than that that you ovulate, so day 16. And if you usually have quite a short cycle, say 24 days, you'd be ovulating about day 10. So for people with regular cycles now, when we see them for their initial visit, if they're having difficulty conceiving, I don't even bother doing an ovulation blood test test in the second half of the cycle anymore because the history alone tells me whether or not the patient's ovulating. Mm -hmm. If a person has a regular cycle, they're ovulating. Therefore, for a 28-day cycle, I'd recommend that they have intercourse at least every second day from at least day 10 and then probably through to about day 18 just in case it happens that that particular cycle would have been slightly shorter or slightly longer. And if you look at the lifespan of egg and the lifespan of sperm,
0: if you have intercourse
2: at least every second day, then those two charts should overlap where live sperm will meet live egg. Every day is better, but it's not necessary for it to be any more frequent than that. And more than two days could create a little window where the two didn't meet.
1: Right. And if you were to be having it, say, multiple times a day, does that impact the sperm?
2: No, no. It's a common misconception, and uh, uh, (laughs) no pun intended, that you should save up for conceiving um, and therefore use LH surge detection strips or mucus changes or temperature charts or some other way of tracking ovulation. And you, you know, in the twenty first century, I guess that would be an app, because then you'll get the most quality sperm at the time that you're trying to conceive the pregnancy. And a lot of that is based on the fact that a male has to abstain if he's doing a semen analysis for four days prior to the analysis. What a well, that's dog. got nothing to do with making the semen analysis better quality. It's simply so that it standardises the test. So, that when a man goes along and does a semen analysis, it can be compared to every other semen analysis because every other semen analysis was done with sustaining, abstaining for four days. But in actual biology, in actual conceiving, having intercourse more frequently produces better quality sperm and fresher sperm and sperm that hasn't been sitting in all that tubing of the testes and vas deferens for as long and therefore you would in fact produce better quality sperm. But more than once a day... you're welcome, but it won't make any difference to the fertility.
1: Yeah. And I think just to make it clear, because I think a lot of women get embarrassed to ask questions about their cycle because they just assume they should know about them because they've had cycles every month for so long. But just to make it clear, so when you're talking about a 28-day cycle, day one is the day you get your period, and then every other day is until you start your period the next time. Just to make that clear for yep. everyone. So if you have a 28-day cycle, it's not about when your period stops. It's about when your period starts. And that's the start of your cycle, your so period. Your period is the start of your cycle. And then if you if you ovulate on day 14, it's two exactly two weeks from when your period started. Correct. Yes. yes. Because I think some people get confused about when it starts versus when it stops. When it stops is so different mm. for so many women. Well,
0: I always thought that it was like the end of my cycle was my period because it was all coming out, but it's, it's not. It's yeah, the start, start of your cycle. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Day one we would usually say is the first day that you had to wear protection when you went to bed that night mm. because a lot of women will get a little bit of spotting in the lead up to their period, but it's not their actual period yet. And then when they have actual menstrual flow, we would call that day one.
1: And day two is when you don't want to leave the house. <laughs> You've got your bulb catches on.
2: <laughs> and, and I would also say that in most situations, in fact, getting that day exactly right is not important. For example, with using Clomid, I may say to people, take Clomid day two for five days, so day two to six, but other doctors would say take Clomid from day four. And we and I deliberately built in a range of days of having intercourse for trying to conceive spontaneously, because that takes any concern about any confusion about what exactly day one mm. was, because we haven't we haven't made it super important that it has to be day one and everyone has to agree on that.
0: Yeah. When in your cycle can you start doing pregnancy tests?
2: A pregnancy test, just a simple chemist shop urinary pregnancy test will be positive before you miss your period. So if you ovulate about day 14 and conception occurred about day 15, the pregnancy would reach the blastocyst stage about five days later, that, that being a fertilised egg and have made its way into the uterine cavity and probably implanted about day seven. So a pregnancy test would, in fact, be positive before you missed the next period. So I would say on a standard 28-day cycle, if you were pregnant, you would get a positive pregnancy test about day 26. But it's important, you know, not to obsess with, again, this chemistry experiment idea where you're you're doing urine tests and all sorts of mucus tests and things like that. Just stay calm, have intercourse regularly, and then if your period is missed, then do a pregnancy test.
1: It was actually interesting. It'll get
2: expensive buying a lot of ovulation kits and a lot of um, beta-HCG kits. Just use them the minimum number of times necessary.
1: So any recommendations of tests to do prior to conceiving?
2: Yeah. Well, look, um, it, it is certain if young women in, in that age group where they're wishing to conceive would rarely be seeing a doctor. I mean, they might, not, they might not even have a doctor if they've been healthy and don't have any ongoing conditions. So it would be worth making an appointment with your GP to get a few things up to date. I mean, first of all, you'd make sure your pap smears are up to date. And With the new pap smear CST test, that's only five yearly. So if you do get the pap smear, no matter how long it takes you to get pregnant, you, you'll still have an up-to-date smear. You would GP would do some simple bloods like checking your blood group and your blood count and your immunity, to, particularly to rubella, and and varicella or chickenpox. The reason why we would particularly do them is because they are vaccinatable, so if you do a blood test on them and, and you're not immune, something can be done about it. You would also these days consider having what's called a genetic screen. It's very popular these days and, indeed, as obstetricians and gynaecologists, we're obliged to offer people either considering pregnancy or about to go under IVF treatment or in very early pregnancy to uh, have a genetic screen which is looking for, most importantly, cystic fibrosis but also fragile X and spinal muscular atrophy. And that's because cystic fibrosis is the most common genetic recessive condition in the community And, indeed, one in every 25 women will carry that gene. Therefore, one in every 2,500 babies are born with cystic fibrosis. And don't panic if your test is positive because you then check the partner. And if the partner is negative, there's nothing to worry about because it's a recessive gene. You both have to have it. Wow. And if the partner was positive, well, then you know you have a one in four chance of a baby with cystic fibrosis. You might also, on seeing the GP, have a chat about other parts of your health, so, you know, your weight, your lifestyle, other medications you're taking, in particular um, if you're on diabetes medication or epilepsy medication. The doctor may also check your thyroid function. It has become increasingly scrutinised people's thyroid function in pregnancy And just, you know, to make sure that in general any medical past history that you've got that might be relevant to a future pregnancy could be sorted out before you actually conceive. And then the doctor would also recommend that you commence either some folate or perhaps a pregnancy multivitamin prior to conceiving. Despite all this advice, of course, Most patients see their doctor for the first time when they're already pregnant, and that's fine. I mean, we understand that not everyone is so well prepared that they say okay right now we're planning for a pregnancy I'm going to go and have a doctor's visit and in the overwhelming majority of cases it's not a problem that their first visit to the doctor and the first time investigations are done is in fact during the pregnancy.
1: It's funny that you say that about thyroid disease when I was pregnant with Poppy I thought that I had a goiter which is this thing like when you're thyroid is large Mm. and you can see it in your neck due to a condition and he tested all my functions and it was normal and it was just because I developed a fat neck (laughs) and he was looking at me going oh I don't really see a goita and I I was like no there's definitely one here and I think he was thinking no you've just put on a fair bit of weight because you're pregnant (laughs) but (laughs) our (laughs) our next question was about supplements and vitamins so yeah other than folate is there anything people should be taking
2: Well, it it may be that some women are iron deficient, you know, particularly if they have a history of heavy periods. So we would recommend an iron supplement in that case, although a lot of women in early pregnancy won't tolerate an iron supplement uh, very well because, they they, you know, they they can upset your tummy. And if we're talking pre-pregnancy, certainly you could get your iron supplementation up to date. And I know a lot of people are taking, you know, antioxidants and vitamin D and a lot of other vitamins, but in Australia where we eat such fresh food and we have such access to such good nutrition, really any other supplementation is of questionable need. And indeed you could probably say in Australia in 2020 the need for folate supplementation wouldn't be that strong because the observations of the association between folate and spina bifida and other neural tube defects was made in england after the second world war when people were eating a lot of preserved foods and very very few fresh fruit and vegetables and therefore they were genuinely folate deficient but Although anyone who's listened to any of my um, podcasts with you would know I'm very cynical about vitamin supplementation, I would accept that I do recommend to people that they consider at the very least folate supplements. Most of the multivitamins would cost you over a dollar a day and are quite large tablets, which a lot of women struggle to swallow in early pregnancy. Whereas a folate tablet, I think you can get about two hundred for five dollars. So if you just really want to take the folate supplement, which is the most important one, that's readily available, inexpensive and a tiny tablet.
1: Someone asked, can you tell us a bit about what CoQ10 is and if it improves your chance of conceiving?
0: What is
2: CoQ10? Yeah, well, that's an antioxidant and that, you know that is a very interesting Google if you'd like to look up antioxidants because... The concept of antioxidants is that they are involved in the removal of free radicals, which is said to... The free radicals are said to be detrimental to DNA, when in fact more recent research has shown that the widespread use of antioxidant treatment is associated with some increases in some serious illnesses, including some cancers. So I I think... At the very least, the jury is out on the use of antioxidants, and at the very worst, I would recommend that you don't use them. And it's certainly not something I recommend to my patients. However, I do find that a lot of my patients are already on them.
0: And if you're trying to conceive, should you stop drinking completely and stop eating soft cheeses and salamis and other meats?
2: No, certainly not the dietary things you just said. You know, obviously we've we've covered listeria in a previous episode, but you know that's an extremely uncommon condition, and and certainly any concern about avoiding listeria, so-called risk factors, could wait until you actually are pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then, with regard to drinking, it is true to say that you know when I was a medical and obstetrics and gynaecological resident and registrar, the recommendation in Australia was that you could have up to two standard drinks a day in pregnancy. And of course, we know that culturally in other countries of the world, a glass of wine with dinner is just considered a completely normal standard thing. But unfortunately, it was found in Australia that a lot of people were saving their two standard drinks a day for 14 on a Friday. (laughs) And so... The National Health and Medical Research Foundation in Australia, the NHMRC, did bring out guidelines some years ago to say that they would recommend people don't drink at all in pregnancy. So given that perhaps you could argue you're not going to know you're pregnant in the second half of the cycle until you miss your period,
0: as a a doctor
2: it is my my duty to say, look, you shouldn't, drink in pregnancy, although, you know, I think Sam and Sophie and Sophie's younger brother are all good examples of well-pickled <laughs> fetuses that managed to turn out pretty good.
1: Mum and Dad went to Tuscany when Mum was pregnant with Ned, my younger brother, and all he's fine, so yeah. there you go. I doubt she had 14. Yeah. I can't imagine Mum being able to stand no, up after no. 14.
2: She's a pretty cheap shout. But yeah. <laughs> You know, like so many other things in pregnancy, when you really think about it, the answer is more common sense than science. Yeah. But, um, you know, people these days in their lifestyles, it's not uncommon for women to be doing a lot of things that in retrospect they might be concerned about in early pregnancy. You know, they might be partying quite hard and binge drinking in particular or taking recreational drugs or or having, you know, one of the common ones I have is, you know, women who come in for their first visit and they've had Botox in the time that they were pregnant. So there's a lot of things that if you were planning to conceive and you were trying to conceive that you might give consideration to in your lifestyle just in case you are pregnant. Fetal alcohol syndrome is the condition that is associated with excess drinking in pregnancy. We we see that very rarely in Australia and it's felt that probably fetal alcohol syndrome is a combination of excessive chronic alcohol mm. consumption in association with chronic malnutrition
0: i can answer this next question how effective is the withdrawal method not very why because you've got three to show for it. yeah
2: yeah
0: so some people say that in their cycle they know that they're not ovulating at its peak so they can do the withdrawal method is that true
2: no i mean I, I can answer that and sort of make it fairly graphic how, do. how uh, obvious that would be. I, I recently saw a couple and the husband's semen analysis was there. And, of course, the number of sperm in the ejaculate is the concentration. That's you know how many million sperm per mil times the volume. And this gentleman's semen analysis that he'd done had 800 million sperm in it in one ejaculate. So the withdrawal technique, perhaps perhaps 600 million of them might have ended up on the sheet, but probably another 200 million would be sneaking into the vagina. So it, 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 when you're talking about one sperm creating a pregnancy and 800 million sperm being in an ejaculate, to think that the withdrawal method could in any way be successful is 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 fantasy the only way a withdrawal method would be successful if it is if it was used in conjunction with very careful timing in the cycle of intercourse in which case you know why miss that moment and bother with withdrawal
0: so two questions one question is: This is not from the page, and this is definitely Jade's. It own is question. not from me, but I'm I, I, like, there's got to be a lot of people out there wanting to know these questions, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say. Mm, this them. is
2: from Wendy from Brunswick Heads. <laughs>
0: this is from Karen from Ocean Shores. Now, what I'm gonna say is the pre. I can't say this in a pre-cum. doctor pre blow pre cum pre whatever. Can that get you pregnant? Is there sperm yes. in pre come? There is. Absolutely. So By when the they're link- like, oh, hang on, stop, 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 not not yet, not yet, and something may come out, it could
2: mm. be sperm. It's full of sperm. <gasps> so that's called semen. Karen
0: from Ocean so Shores <laughs> is not happy. Yeah.
2: So semen is sperm and seminal fluid. So all semen will have sperm in it unless there's a reason why that shooting blanks, yeah. Problem.
0: So the second question was... Oh God. Is it
2: related to a vasectomy? <laughs> no, shut up, Sophie. Because I, mean, I think this is... We're, we're we're straying away from conception onto contraception. Yes, I know. Um, no, I know, no, I know. No, the
1: reason the person asked the question is Karen. she, Karen, is she is, no, this is legitimately not it's, Jade or I. That's Karen. The person who sent in the question asked how effective it was and they said that they didn't mind if they were to accidentally get pregnant. So should she just be
0: taking <laughs> folate now to be safe?
2: Absolutely.
0: Karen remembered her second question. Yeah, Kaz. And it yeah. was, if you were going to do the withdrawal or not do the withdrawal, is it best in your cycle to not get pregnant around your period? Well, you can't get pregnant Absolutely. while you yeah. have your period. <laughs> yeah, so like a day or two it's, before well, is that I mean, low risk chance?
2: If you had a seven-day period and also had a very short cycle, you may be ovulating towards the end of your period. Your period doesn't have to have ended for you to ovulate. So just
1: best not to. If a
2: woman, say, had a 21-day cycle, she's ovulating on day seven, and that means that if she does have a long period, then she may overlap menstruation with ovulation because, you know, the ovaries have no idea what's going on in the uterus. And so if someone does have a long period, Um, And also the more common one is if some women do have a little bit of mid-cycle spotting and therefore be anxious about having intercourse because of the spotting, but it may indeed be the very time when they would be best to have intercourse.
0: Cool. I've got a question for you later, but let's continue. All right, Kaz, sit down, simmer. (laughs) Are there any, I'm guessing
1: the answer is going to be no because you did just say there could be up to 800 million spam, but are there any positions that can help you get pregnant? Mm.
2: No. Uh, I mean, it it is very interesting having been in doing (laughs) my job for so many years.
0: In where? Sorry, what?
2: (laughs) I've been in my room (laughs) seeing
0: patients.
2: Um, The number of people who actually don't have what you would refer to as penetrative intercourse. So people come to my practice saying that they're experiencing a delay in getting pregnant when in fact, to put it bluntly, the penis has has not ever been inside the vagina.
1: Sorry, so so
2: where's it been? In the mouth? So I don't don't want to sound cruel or like I'm trivialising anything, but it is very important to remember that some people do have types of sexual dysfunction which make conceiving, if not difficult, impossible and therefore... If you're a doctor taking a history about conceiving or a delay in conceiving, it is very important to make sure that the couple are actually having intercourse.
0: I'm confused.
2: And I think that's self-explanatory. It's we don't not. need to go into the actual.
0: It doesn't make sense. Are you telling me and everyone that some people aren't putting the penis inside the vagina? It's not because they don't know that that's where it's meant to go. It's just there's something
1: in. In the two of them, that means that they can't like maybe, usually like, like
2: vaginismus, where it's too painful for the for the oh for okay okay,
0: in okay a
2: couple, okay. or where male has an ejaculatory problem or, yeah yeah he yeah. doesn't he's not meaning problem.
1: like they do it in the ear and think yeah that's, that's what i you thought you meant the child. yeah <laughs> okay that's okay yeah <laughs> moving on wait so and is going to the bathroom straight after sex is that gonna like wipe away sperm that could have conceived no, or no that or the fastest swimmer's already gone. well gone
2: yeah, well, I must say that when we do artificial insemination, where we've actually inseminated the sperm right into the uterine cavity, we do get the patient to lie down for about 10 minutes afterwards just to, you know, make sure that it doesn't come out. Mm. But so I, 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 it's best not to rush to the bathroom, but mm. if you do need to go, for goodness sake, go.
1: Yeah. How long is the optimal time to be off contraception before you start to try to conceive?
2: Yeah. Well, it may depend what contraception that was so if if a couple were using condoms for contraception they will know exactly what the menstrual cycle is like and even if someone had something like a Mirena IUD or an Implanon they may still be having a cycle in the background that they know they're having a 28-day cycle but for people who are taking the pill they may stop the pill and immediately have a regular 28-day cycle and indeed conceive in the very first cycle after they stop the pill and other women may experience an irregular menstrual cycle after stopping the pill and almost always that's because they would have had an irregular cycle but they were taking the pill and that was giving them a regular cycle. Mm. It's not because the pill gave them an irregular cycle and therefore don't stop contraception and start trying to get pregnant until you're comfortable that if it happens, you're happy that it's happened.
1: And so if you remove, say, an Implanon or a Mirena, it does, is its effect gone as soon as you remove it?
2: Absolutely. It, it, uh, and the great comparison there is the, the mini pill, which is the pill that a lot of women are prescribed when they're breastfeeding. That's a progesterone only pill. That's the pill you have to take at the same time every day, not just every day. And that's because its its effect is so fleeting. Well, therefore, you can imagine that if you have an implanon removed or a Myrena removed, the hormone is removed immediately. Therefore, its effect is removed immediately. Oh wow.
0: Okay. And how long should you wait before seeing a doctor if you can't conceive?
2: This is one of the commonest questions I have to answer in, in forums on fertility. Not that I've been slutting myself about
0: well, away a from little. beyond
2: the bump with other <laughs> with Excuse nice. me, sort of,
0: Timmy, yeah, Doctor Timmy, the little. Slut. I have
2: been heard on the Monash IVF website. I'm sorry about. And he's
0: plugging <laughs> things now. How are you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I did what was called a virtual retreat where it went all day and there were guest speakers. It was called a virtual retreat. So they had a nutritionist on and a psychologist and someone who was talking about all sorts of other weird things that I didn't understand. And then there were three doctors who spoke and I spoke third. And down in the corner of the screen you could see how many people were listening listening. And the second person who spoke was so boring I could see the number of people <laughs> listening just in free fall. And I thought, fuck, <laughs> like, no-one's going to be listening by the time I speak. I hope they're not
0: listening so to this podcast.
2: was so, so unfair. Oh, not a chance. This person <laughs> is so boring. They <laughs> probably have a Nokia phone.
0: i I would not know what a
2: podcast was (laughs) all right
0: let's let's continue
2: what was the question Um, (laughs) how long should you wait to be said now of course some people will have a history that lets them know they're at risk of trouble conceiving so for example a young lady might have had a sexually transmitted disease in the past or may have had a ruptured appendix with peritonitis or may have always had really irregular cycles and been told at like 18 years or 19 years of age that she has polycystic ovaries and an ovulation disturbance. And similarly, on the male side, uh, a man may have been told that like when he was born he had undescended testes and had to have surgery to, to bring the testes down into the scrotum or had had a testicular injury, or even worse, still a testicular cancer in the past. So of course, those people should seek an opinion and help virtually immediately. But in a couple where there's no history Mm -hmm. of any underlying reason why they would have trouble getting pregnant, and the couple are young, then 85% of of those couples will be pregnant in two years. But interestingly, 70% of those couples will be pregnant in six months. Mm. So the overwhelming majority of the couples who are going to get pregnant are pregnant in six months. So that's where I'd say my advice is if you have no history of any underlying reason why you'd have trouble getting pregnant, if you're not pregnant in six months, get an opinion. And if you're over 35, and that's the female in the couple, Definitely seek an opinion by six months.
1: Great. Great answer. Is there a correlation between stress, whether that be like mental or physical stress and infertility?
2: Another commonly asked questions about stress, and I get asked about stress not only with regard to conception, with regard to stress in pregnancy. So the simple answer to that is that it's my job as a doctor to be sort of in a pastoral way looking at the patient and the couple in a really holistic way and that would include their physical and mental health, you know, diet, exercise, you know, healthy lifestyle and healthy mind. So I don't mean that in a wanking sort of way. I'm, I really mean that. If a couple are in a good place mentally, physically, spiritually, they're clearly more healthy and therefore more more likely to get pregnant. But one thing that's equally important is to take the pressure off a couple that it's their fault they're not getting pregnant. And sometimes women convince themselves that the stress in their life is stopping from getting pregnant. And I just need to tell them to stop being stressed about being stressed. And that, you know, most of us in this day and age live reasonably stressful lifestyles. Certainly, Sophie, you wouldn't understand what I mean by that, but a lot of people live very <laughs> stressful lifestyles and stressful work and a lot of women now have very busy careers and long hours and are under stress and they feel that's contributing. So the only two ways that stress could stop you from getting pregnant would be if you were so stressed you didn't want to have intercourse mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: or indeed your stressful lifestyle led for it to be virtually impossible to have intercourse, or indeed if you were so stressed you stopped having cycles, and the classic example of that is somebody who's extremely medically unwell, like in an intensive care unit, virtually never has periods because their body is so stressed, ovulation shuts down. But if you're having a regular cycle and you're having regular intercourse, don't don't be upset that stress is causing it. And I would often use the example that women do get pregnant during wars. They get pregnant in abusive relationships. They even get pregnant when they've been raped. So even the most extreme stressful situations, you can still successfully conceive.
0: Well, this flows quite nicely into the next question. Do you think high-impact exercise interferes with fertility?
2: No, not at all. Not at all. So if if you are exercising regularly and you are exercising sensibly, I applaud that as part of my previous answer of your mental and physical well-being. Um, so if people are exercising regularly, then whatever type of exercise they like to do, I'm happy for them to do. You don't shake eggs or embryos out of your uterus by high impact exercise or by reaching high body temperatures. So if you're fit and healthy and exercising, I I think that's fantastic. But if you're an athlete,
1: similar to what you said before, like as long as you're still getting your period, because
2: athletes don't. So where yeah, where athletes stop getting their periods is if they develop an extremely low body fat index. So they're extremely thin with no (laughs) body fat. So marathon runners and triathletes being classic examples of people that you know that they may actually only be 40 something kilos and they stop menstruating we mm-hmm. refer to that as hypothalamic amenorrhea or or stopping having periods and similarly sadly women who've had struggles with anorexia where they have really low body weight they will often stop having periods and indeed The the stopping of having periods is indicative of their unhealthy weight and the recommencement of their cycle is indicative of a return to a healthier weight.
1: Mm. If someone's wanting to conceive but they haven't got their period back from having their previous child, when should one start to get concerned that it hasn't returned?
2: Yeah, well, the most important question there is if the person is still breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Because if somebody is breastfeeding, that could suppress ovulation and therefore menstruation for as long as you're breastfeeding. It could be two years if if you're still breastfeeding in two years. So I would say that if you have ceased breastfeeding and you are planning to conceive again and you haven't menstruated within three months, then if you seek help, you'll be able to be helped to bring on a period and then bring on your cycle again.
1: And can the like? Because we had lots of people write in saying that they're still breastfeeding their child and they're ready to conceive again, but not wanting to wean. Are you? Is there any way that you can increase your fertility without weaning?
2: Yeah, if if you are still breastfeeding from your previous pregnancy and you're menstruating, there's that, that's fine. You, and what if you're it, not? And what consume.
1: if you're not menstruating? Is there anything?
2: Uh, Well, we can use ovulation treatment because it's not estrogen. You know, for example, if you give someone estrogen when they're breastfeeding, it does dry up their breast milk, for Mm. example, starting them on the full-strength pill. But it would require treatment to get Mm. them ovulating if they wanted to get pregnant like now. Mm. Otherwise, you might say, look, your period may well return soon, Mm. but that's extremely unpredictable. And Mm. if they're planning to breastfeed particularly if it's a lot of breastfeeding and remember that same woman might have had a history of irregular or infrequent periods before she even conceived this pregnancy and child that she's breastfeeding so she will more quickly return for help because she'll know I'm a person who does have problems Mm. having a regular cycle yeah
0: and does it generally take a similar amount of time for people to conceive with subsequent subsequent pregnancies
2: oh not at all once somebody's had a pregnancy they're they're much more likely to conceive and that's why you hear so many stories about people who've who've had for example even an IVF pregnancy and then conceived another pregnancy spontaneously Mm -hmm. or indeed had two or even three IVF pregnancies and then conceive a spontaneous pregnancy. The only thing against you conceiving subsequent babies to however many you've had is that you're getting older and as you get older, your fertility declines. So if you started your family at, say, 37 and then you're trying again at 39, it will be more difficult to conceive. But if you've had your first or first and second babies by the time you're 30, you would definitely be highly likely to conceive quickly if there's no underlying problems in a subsequent pregnancy.
1: You've answered this before, but we had quite a few people send this in, so oh. we figured they didn't hear your answer the other time. But there's for the, people still, the, for the people in the back. The people in the back. There's a lot of people that still want to know if you can sway the gender when conceiving. Dun, 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 dun.
2: Absolutely not. And look, that, that's a the great segue into the answer of that is my friend with eight hundred million sperm in his ejaculate you know like we've got
1: all got friends like half, that you know <laughs>
2: yeah. half the population of china in his ejaculate and the answer to that is of those 800 sperm 400 would have an x and 400 would have a y chromosome and to think that when you're dealing with hundreds of millions of sperm or even in a lesser case scenario tens of millions of sperm but we're still talking about millions that there was some way of making an X sperm arrive before a Y sperm or vice versa is Absolutely fanciful.
0: And, of course, (laughs) if
2: if people are trying to conceive a boy or a girl and they're successful, they would be very likely to share with their friends that they were trying for a boy and they got a boy, for example. (laughs) But if they were trying for a boy and they got a girl, I would consider it highly unlikely they'd say to their friends, I got a girl that I didn't want.
0: (laughs) so the method of madness is that some people think that if you get a turkey-based jar with bicarb soda and put it up your is clacker butt or vagina, your butt. Okay, vagina then you have sex, it's going to do something to to either the, the, yeah, do something to the levels and it will either deter female sperm or or Y sperm or vice versa. And, you know, I'm assuming your answer is going to be that silly, silly business.
2: Yeah. Well, some of the theories include that a Y chromosome is smaller than an X chromosome, therefore the Y chromosomes get to the um, egg quicker because they're smaller. Um, you know that's that sort of sort of fantasy talk. The other one is what whether you time intercourse in relation to ovulation. And then one of the most pathetic ones I heard was actually a doctor talking on the radio, and he was saying that athletes have more boys because they have more circulating androgens because they exercise a lot when, in fact, of course, androgens doesn't determine gender. A chromosome determines gender X or Y. So like that's just, that's just an example of the sort of stupidity that comes with those conversations.
0: <laughs> and it's complete coincidence that some families just have all girls and some families just have all boys?
2: Yeah, you answered the question. Yeah. So that for every family with five boys, there's a family with five girls mm-hmm. and for every family with two boys and two girls, there's a family with two girls and two boys. Yep.
1: How soon after a caesarean is it safe to start trying to conceive again?
2: I'd say it depends a little bit on what the caesarean was for, and and I'm not just being cagey, but if you had a caesarean because you had extremely severe preeclampsia and HELP syndrome and had the caesarean at 24 weeks and had a baby in the neonatal intensive care unit as a result, I'd probably recommend you give your body a little bit of a rest (laughs) because you nearly died. Whereas, if you had a caesarean, it's not because funny. I don't know why. Term, <laughs> it's so if you had a baby at term because it was a breach presentation or a placenta previa or something that was, you know, there was nothing wrong with you. It's just that the baby had to be delivered by caesarean, then that's a completely different issue. So, in most cases, I'd say try not to conceive within the first six months. Okay.
0: Oh, okay. That And I'd, how... I'd
1: say that full stop. Yeah. Anyone. Yeah. I don't. I
2: like It's, to... it's, Trauma it's tiring. very important not to, to delay people trying to conceive for nonsense-type reasons. Like, for example, a common one is I always like to see patients who've had a curette for a miscarriage for a post-operative visit because it's the post-operative visit isn't to make sure they've survived the operation. The visit is to make sure they've survived the the gush of effluent of bullshit Mm. that they've been fed since they had their miscarriage about what caused it and what to do and that you shouldn't try and get pregnant again for three months Mm. and that it's because you exercise too much or it's because you work too hard or it's because you eat too much or whatever, when in fact, you know, most miscarriages are due to the fact that the pregnancy just was genetically abnormal and was always going to miscarry and, in fact, when people have had a curette for a miscarriage, they're actually more fertile. And I would strongly encourage that as long as psychologically they've recovered from the disappointment and the upset of the miscarriage, that they start trying again as soon as possible. Because if anything, their chances are higher.
1: Mm. Well, that was literally our yeah, next question. So it. you don't have to wait to have another period before
2: trying no, again. No. No, and, and and you know, I would always say to a patient who has a curette. Either for a miscarriage or as part of an investigation for fertility, like say somebody's had a laparoscopy and a curette for their fertility, to start trying again straight away because if anything, your chances are higher.
0: And how long should you wait after having an ectopic pregnancy?
2: Oh, not at all. Well, I mean, uh, well some ectopic pregnancies are treated with a drug called methotrexate, which is like a like a cancer drug, but it's used in a number of other medical conditions and if you've had methotrexate for your ectopic you have to wait three months before you can try and conceive again but if you'd have if you've had the surgical treatment of an ectopic pregnancy you can start trying again straight away and hopefully the surgeon has told you that the other fallopian tube appeared normal and therefore you know you can try again if you were told that the other fallopian tubes badly damaged well then you're going to have to seek fertility treatment but if you've had an ectopic pregnancy and then been told the other tube was normal indeed the follow-up science to that shows that women have very good conception rates and quite low recurrent ectopic rates
1: good Hmm. You've sort of brushed on this when you talked about Clomid earlier, but tips on conceiving in a woman with PCOS and also tips if she's already got uh, within normal range BMI.
0: What's PCOS as well? Polycystic ovarian syndrome.
2: Polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's extremely important to separate that from polycystic ovaries. So Hmm. I've already mentioned on your podcast I I had the incredible honour of meeting Professor Farquhar, and she scanned thousands of women in the reproductive age group and showed that one in five women have polycystic ovaries on ultrasound but only approximately one in five of them has anything to suggest they've got polycystic ovaries, like an irregular period being the commonest one. Mm -hmm. And even less than that have true polycystic ovarian syndrome so by saying someone has pco that's just one in five women and indeed according to the newer criteria of polycystic ovaries on ultrasound it's actually more like one in four have polycystic ovaries and most of those women will go on to conceive successfully without any problems at all Polycystic ovarian syndrome suggests other features that are due to having excess androgens or male hormones. And without trying to make these poor people sound unattractive, it it often involves excess weight, excess hair, acne and other troublesome symptoms which patients find very distressing and those patients will often conceive if they are able to achieve a healthy weight. If a doctor says to you you've got polycystic ovaries and you do go on the internet, please don't assume you have polycystic ovarian syndrome and all the things that come with that. And even if you're not having regular periods and you have polycystic ovaries, that doesn't necessarily mean it's polycystic ovarian syndrome which has some very characteristic features and only you know think you've got that if you've been told by someone who knows what they're talking about that you've got it but anyway if you have polycystic overage, which is the commonest cause of an irregular prolonged cycle the treatment is either clomid which is clomiphene or letrazole and they're two drugs that help to regulate your cycle by helping you ovulate. And there's two ways that that helps you conceive. Number one, you obviously can't conceive unless you ovulate. And number two, if those drugs help you to have a regular cycle, not only are you ovulating, but you will know when to have intercourse to maximise your chances. Because if you're having cycles that are 60 or 80 days long, it's going to be impossible to know well, when should I be having intercourse? But if you were to take those medications and have a 28-day cycle or a 30-day cycle, it's going to be a lot easier to conceive.
0: And what if it doesn't, like, say you do the Clomid for, you know, six months and nothing happens, what do you do then?
2: Well, every cycle that you take Clomid you should have a blood test to see if you ovulated, and that is the time that I do a blood test in the second half of the cycle. So it is important to differentiate between someone who's been on Clomid for six months and not got pregnant despite the fact that they ovulated all six months and differentiate that from someone who was on Clomid for six months and never ovulated. But certainly if you, there's only really two fertility treatments. There's ovulation treatment, which Clomid is one of, and there's IVF. So if you fail to conceive using ovulation treatment, IVF is usually your next step.
0: And how is IVF going in relation to the COVID pandemic? Are people able to do this at the moment in Australia and around the world or has it become, you know, paused?
2: Well, I can only speak for Australia Mm -hmm. Um, and in my case I'm in the worst state of Australia for the disease, which is Victoria, back in March, April, um, when there were severe um, elective surgical restrictions, we did have to stop IVF for one month. Uh, There was quite a lot of pushback about that and it was felt that it was unfair on women because even though it's elective surgery, there is a significant time Mm. constraint on fertility and women Mm. felt that that wasn't fair. So even though we've now um, in August returned to the surgical restrictions and the restrictions on elective surgery, IVF is still continuing. And I I did IVF this morning and yesterday, and IVF is still continuing. Sorry. That's a, that's a the ground is moving under our feet yeah. at all times, and and I don't know, but at the moment, not only do I know it's still going, but it is also considered a priority great
1: can you because I think that IVF is kind of getting more and more common and like I guess I think think kind of used to have like a bit of a stigma and I feel like that's improving but I also feel that a lot of people don't actually understand what IVF is can you tell us yeah, just absolutely. you know it's very complex but a basic outline of what IVF
2: is well actually explaining IVF is quite simple and I hope I don't make a liar of myself with my subsequent explanation but it's important to say four percent of babies born in Australia at the moment are conceived using IVF and that's often brought down to a simple um, one child in every classroom type analogy but IVF goes back to that simple statement I made in my first podcast that to get pregnant you need eggs, sperm and plumbing. In a natural cycle, a woman produces and ovulates one mature egg. And indeed, Louise Brown, the first IVF baby in the world, who's now 43, came from that one egg that her mum ovulated, that doctors were able to collect, and then fertilise in the test tube, and then put back the embryo into her mother's uterus. Now we're lucky enough to have medications that we're able to give people that stimulate their ovaries to produce multiple mature eggs. So, this is a simple outline of an IVF cycle. Um, On the second day of your period, you start some injections, and those injections contain appropriately named follicle stimulating hormone. After about eight days of injections, you have an ultrasound to look at how the follicles are growing, and we're aiming for as many follicles as we can get between 18 millimetres and two centimetres in diameter. When we're comfortable that the follicles have grown to the right size, you're given a special trigger injection, and that trigger injection is LH, which is what you look for on an ovulation kit when you're doing um, predicting ovulation at home by weighing on a stick. Mm-hmm. So we give an injection of that, and 36 hours later, the lady goes into hospital and under a light general anaesthetic has the eggs collected from the ovaries. That's done by inserting an ultrasound probe in the vagina and a a lot of listeners would have had a vaginal ultrasound either during pregnancy or for a gynecological ultrasound. And the one we have for IVF has like a rifle sight along the top of it so that we can pass a needle along the ultrasound probe and we can see on the screen where that needle will go. So we line up the follicles with the needle the, the needle is connected to some suction tubing, which goes into a little test tube. The fluid is passed straight through a window into the laboratory where the embryologist looks to see if they've found the eggs. So we've collected the eggs. So let's just say we collect 15 eggs from that woman. That lady goes down to recovery it's only been a small procedure and a small anaesthetic and we'll be able to go home within an hour How or many so.
0: eggs do you release in a cycle? But, no, you've been given medication One. to oh, release more. Oh, and this is why some people so can have twins? So with the
2: follicle-stimulating hormone, we're trying to get more. Okay. So then the same day the husband will give a sample of sperm, or partner, sorry, will give a sample of sperm, or in the case of people using donor mm-hmm. sperm, they will retrieve the donor sperm, And that sperm will be put in a little indentation in a Petri dish with 100,000 sperm per egg. That's called standard insemination. So you then come back the next day and see if that egg that was surrounded by all that sperm has fertilized. More commonly now, we would do a process called microinjection or ICSI, where Under a microscope, one sperm is picked up with a needle and injected into the egg. And that's the classic photograph you see whenever IVF is discussed, the picture of the egg with the needle Mm. going into it. That's microinjection or ICSI. So the following day, having injected all the mature eggs you found or having put them in the indentations in the Petri dish, you come back the next day and see how many embryos you've got. We then grow those embryos for five days in the laboratory and then they've reached what we call the blastocyst stage. So when I first started in IVF, we transferred embryos on day two or three. We now have the ability to transfer them on day five, which leads to a much higher pregnancy rate. But, of course, less embryos have made it through to that far. And you say, why didn't we always transfer embryos on day five? Well, the nutritional requirements of a day five embryo are extremely complex. And so in order to make what we call media, which is the fluid that the embryo's living in, that has the correct environment for an embryo, has been developed so that we can grow those embryos through to day five. And then to have the embryo, transplanted back into the uterus it's a little bit like a pap smear and under ultrasound control
0: just one egg a goes tiny back in.
2: little tube mm. through the cervix like you're going to have a smear but pass a little tube through the cervix and then pass the embryo down an even thinner tube within that tube
0: wow and under
2: ultrasound cons- control it's put into the uterine cavity with a tiny amount of media so that it can be pushed through with the syringe. And you then do your pregnancy test around about the time you would have expected to have a positive pregnancy test, even if you conceived naturally. Incredible. And if you're unsuccessful, you would get your period around about day 28, just like in a natural cycle. So an IVF cycle fits within what we would consider to be a normal cycle. Mm.
1: And say you have other embryos available Mm. but your first one is not successful, what would the next month look like? Because surely it's not that involved every month.
2: We hope always that you'll be successful in conceiving with that first transfer. However, if you're not, we are hoping that we were able to freeze some embryos at that day five stage because I mentioned for example we got 15 eggs well hopefully we had one for transfer and we had others for freezing and to have a frozen embryo put back in if you have a regular cycle we just monitor when you've ovulated and put a day five embryo in five days after you've ovulated because that's the exact time that lining would have been expecting that embryo and if you don't have a regular cycle, we sort of reproduce the cycle hormonally by giving estrogen and then giving progesterone and creating an environment that's the same as a day five lining would be. And then, of course, you can add on to that IVF that at the day five stage, we can, because there's hundreds of cells in an embryo by that stage, we can actually take a couple of cells away and look at the genetics of those cells and do genetic testing on those cells for, for virtually countless different reasons.
1: And I think Jade was asking before, why is it more likely to have twins when you mm. do IVF?
2: Well, I mean, historically that was because more than one embryo was put back usually. And some years ago in the overwhelming majority of IVF cycles, a number of embryos were put back in. Um, It is true, however, that if you have a day five blastocyst put back in and you do conceive a pregnancy, there's a 4% chance that it will be twins, whereas in natural pregnancy the rate of twins is only 1 in 65, so that's a bit over 1%. We'll call it 1.5%. So it does slightly increase your risk of twins But twins due to IVF treatment, there was a lot of pushback against IVF because of the extreme expense in caring for premature babies in neonatal intensive care and the feeling that IVF had been irresponsible by creating so many multiple pregnancies. So the aim in IVF internationally nowadays is to try and help a person conceive a singleton pregnancy and we don't look upon a twin pregnancy as being like a like a happy immediate family solution or or a good outcome.
0: And does the price vary or is it a like I I think back in the day, which is like for me mm-hmm. a few years ago, it was really expensive. Is it still mm-hmm. really expensive?
2: Well, there are many, many variations on IVF, Mm. as I just said, including sophisticated interventions like embryo biopsy, which is clearly expensive. I think it's worth saying that Australia is one of the cheapest countries in the world to have IVF. Wow. And having produced the first IVF pregnancy ever in the world, we have the longest track record of doing IVF. I think it would be fair to say on international standards our IVF is very reasonably priced and I guess what is expensive to one person yeah. may not be expensive to another person. But you are dealing, in, you know, with numerous thousands of dollars cost but the better the quality of the IVF, the more likely you will conceive a pregnancy and therefore having good quality IVF means the likelihood say per thousand dollars that you've spent that you will have a successful pregnancy is greater and i don't believe that that ivf should be judged on cost alone like bulk billing ivf clinics it should be judged on how much you charge and what your pregnancy rate is Mm,
0: fantastic
1: any tips on women wanting to conceive who have endometriosis
2: yeah, well, we, we do find endometriosis in the investigation of women trying to conceive and having a delay in conceiving and it can be of, of very mixed severity from just a couple of spots of endometriosis to complete obliteration of the pelvis where you know, there's a terrible extent of endometriosis. So there is proof that the surgical management of endometriosis does improve your fertility and improve your chances of conceiving, even if it's conceiving on IVF. Um, and therefore, there is a theory that perhaps endometriosis releases some sort of toxic substance that is either anti-egg or anti-embryo. And therefore, by removing the endometriosis, you've removed that, that element that's against getting pregnant the other issue is that the patient may have had the laparoscopy that found the endometriosis because they had significant symptoms like pain with their periods or pain with intercourse so the best treatment of endometriosis is surgical treatment and excision and that will improve both the symptoms and the fertility And the other good news for people with endometriosis is that unquestionably the best treatment for endometriosis is pregnancy. So if we can help a woman who's got endometriosis to get pregnant, then we're certainly helping her to provide her endometriosis with a very effective treatment. And without wanting to get too complicated, there is a theory that perhaps the reason why women with endometriosis have more difficulty conceiving a pregnancy is perhaps there's something a little bit different about the lining of their uterus, which is referred to as endometrium, that not only makes it more likely to implant in the wrong spot, and that's endometriosis, and makes it a little bit less fertile for the implantation of an embryo. Mm. So perhaps it's got something to do with the actual lining itself. But I would still say, although we can't change genetically what sort of lining you produce, if you have endometriosis, the treatment of that endometriosis will be beneficial in conceiving whether it's naturally or by using some sort of fertility treatment.
1: And so if you use some form of contraception previously that stopped you from having periods, then when it's time to conceive, is your disease less because you haven't been having periods?
2: Oh, well, yes, certainly things like the Mirena IUD and even the pill are very good at suppressing endometriosis. So if somebody has endometriosis and doesn't want to get pregnant, it's It's important to offer them some form of treatment that will keep the endometriosis at bay until such a time as they wish to conceive because not only will that mean they're more fertile when they wish to conceive but they will have had less symptoms in the meantime.
0: Yeah. All right, Timmy, this is the last one. (laughs) Dr Timmy, what is a low AMH and do you have any advice around that?
2: Yeah, AMH is a hormone that's produced, thus the H, is is a hormone that's produced in follicles in the ovary. Therefore, the AMH level reflects how many follicles there are in that ovary and therefore reflects what we refer to as the egg reserve. Unfortunately, AMH has also been referred to as the anxiety-making hormone, Because so many patients go along and have an AMH level done, it comes back low and therefore they'll come into my rooms in a state of extreme anxiety that their AMH is low and their future fertility is poor and therefore they'll have to freeze their eggs or consider, you know, getting pregnant earlier than they had wanted to. So make sure if you have an AMH level done, you either have it ordered by someone who knows how to explain the result to you or if it was ordered by someone else and it does come up with an abnormal answer that you go and see someone to discuss it who understands what the level means. But the sad combination is that if you have a low anti-malarian hormone level, often low quantity is associated with poorer quality. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, it's the quality of your eggs that counts, not the number of them. And so that if a 34-year-old has a very low AMH level, it may be that not only do they have a, a lower egg reserve, but when they then try and conceive, their eggs aren't as good a quality and therefore they're behaving more like a patient of the age that would fit with their anti malarian hormone level. So AMH does cause a lot of anxiety and I would strongly recommend that you have it accurately explained to you if your AMH is low. Now, remember, everyone's born with a certain number of eggs. Indeed, you have the most eggs when you're about a 20-week fetus and you're born with less than half of those eggs you had back when you were a fetus.
0: Where'd they go? Um,
2: And then they just die off Oh, Um, and then all eggs have a built-in lifespan thus even being on the pill or being pregnant and not ovulating doesn't mean your egg reserve still goes down so a woman could quite literally go on the pill from the day of her first ever period in her life until she was 50 and therefore, strictly speaking, should never have used a single egg in her ovaries because she's never ovulated, and yet she'd still have her menopause at the same time, because those eggs are just have a built-in lifespan. And so if you're you have a poor egg reserve, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're poor quality, and you may well be able to be helped to get pregnant. And a great way of of explaining that would be to say if a 30-year-old had one of their ovaries removed due to, say, a cyst on the ovary or a torsion of the ovary or another problem with the ovary, her AMH level would obviously drop by half Mm. in one day because half her eggs were removed. But that did nothing to the quality of the eggs that were remaining and did nothing to to the fertility of the eggs that were remaining so my advice is don't over interpret an amh level you've got to be careful to take it in the context of a lot of other things
0: fantastic absolutely fantastic i feel like from this episode i am now a fully fledged ob and gyno it was so simple it's a shame
1: you've learned all this information now that you've decided to stop conceiving i
0: know but maybe <laughs> i can help others I can be Dr. Timmy Jr. <laughs> no? No, Timmy?
2: Well, I've got some really good feedback. Yes. I've reached 400 followers.
0: Oh, fuck. You, you've you made it. You're about to just... Because
2: I seem to recall on the first episode I was hoping for 200. I or 300, know. I think. 300. Well, you just wait I'm after in this a competition, one. I was in a competition with a midwife from Cabrini who could get to 400 first, and I started fourteen behind, and just got just cruised there. He I'm, I'm powered just powered through. I'm I'm just strutting about with 403 followers at the moment. He
1: was up here visiting at the time, and he kept being like, "Tag me in your story. Tag me in your story. I need more followers." So come on, let's let's get him to 500 guys. 500. Wow. Yeah, come on. Maybe we'll do that as our next giveaway. You have to follow Timmy Chippen and us. Definitely. If you want advice from and him. None of,
2: and none of this starting following me and getting me all excited and then unfollowing <laughs> like a month <laughs>
0: Yeah, later. we'll find and, out.
2: And I, I click on my phone. When I got to 400, I took a screenshot because the next day I was on 397. <laughs> but I've crept back up to 403. Trolls.
0: So. trolls. There's trolls out there. Trolls. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dad. Thank you so much. We'll yeah, see you.
2: Yeah, missing month. those little girls.
1: No, aww. Just say bi- beautiful, just say good. bye, and then we'll turn off the recording, and then we can continue to talk. Bye, and
2: bye everyone, and I hope you found that helpful and just try and keep things simple. Don't try and overanalyse things. Keep it simple and try to surround yourself with positive people and if you see a doctor, try and walk away from that visit feeling more positive about your chances of getting pregnant and not more confused or more in despair. Great advice. Thanks, Timmy.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you.